The French Revolution, A History by Thomas Carlyle, Volume 1 Book 7, The Insurrection of Women Chapter 6, to Versailles This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Peter Dan Book 7, Chapter 6, to Versailles for indeed, about this same moment, Maillard has halted his draggled menads on the last hilltop, and now Versailles and the chateau of Versailles, and far and wide the inheritance of royalty, opens to the wondering eye. From far on the right of Amalie and Saint-Germain-en-Laye, round towards Rambouillet on the left, beautiful all, softly embosomed, as if in sadness in the dim, moist weather. And near before us is Versailles, new and old, with that broad frondent avenue de Versailles between, stately frondent, broad, three hundred feet as men reckon, with four rows of elms, and then the Chateau de Versailles, ending in royal parks and pleasances, gleaming lakelets, arbours, labyrinths, the menagerie, and great and little Trianon. High-towered dwellings, leafy pleasant places, where the gods of this lower world abide. Whence, nevertheless, black care cannot be excluded. Whither menadic hunger is even now advancing, armed with pike thoracy. Yes, yonder, mesdames, where our straight frondent avenue, joined, as you note, by two frondent brother avenues from this hand and from that, spreads out into Place Royale and Palace Forecourt, yonder is the Salle des Menus. Yonder an august assembly sits regenerating France. Forecourt, grand court, court of marble, court narrowing into court, you may discern next or fancy, on the extreme verge of which that glass dome, visibly glittering like a star of hope, is the Oeil de Boeuf. Yonder, or nowhere in the world, is bread baked for us. But, uh, oh, mesdames, were not one thing good, that our cannons, with Demoiselle Terania and all show of war, be put to the rear? Submission beseems petitioners of a national assembly. We are strangers in Versailles, whence, too audibly, there comes even now sound as of tocsin and a general. Also, to put on, if possible, a cheerful countenance, hiding our sorrows, and even to sing... Sorrow, pitied of the heavens, is hateful, suspicious to the earth. So counsels Shifty Maillard, haranguing his menads on the heights near Versailles. Cunning Maillard's dispositions are obeyed. The draggled insurrectionists advance up the avenue, in three columns, among the four elm rows, singing Henri Quatre with what melody they can, and shouting Vive le Roi! Versailles, though the elm rows are dripping wet, crowds from both sides with Vivons non Parisienne, our Paris ones forever. Prickers, scouts, have been out towards Paris as the rumour deepened, whereby His Majesty, gone to shoot in the woods of Meudon, has been happily discovered and got home, and the General and Toxin set a sounding. The bodyguards are already drawn up in front of the palace grates and look down the avenue de Versailles, sulky in wet buckskins. Flandre, too, is there, repentant of the opera repast. Also dragoons dismounted are there. 
Finally, Major Lecointre and what he can gather of the Versailles National Guard, though it is to be observed our colonel, that same sleepless Count d'Estaing, giving neither order nor ammunition, has vanished most improperly, one supposes, into the Oeil de Boeuf. Red-coated Swiss stand within the grates, under arms. There likewise, in their inner room, all the ministers, Saint-Priest, Lamentation Pompignon, and the rest, are assembled with Monsieur Necker. They sit with him there, blank, expecting what the hour will bring. Monsieur Mounier, though he answered Mirabeau with a tant mieux, and affected to slight the matter, had his own forebodings. Surely for these four weary hours he has reclined not on roses. The order of the day is getting forward. A deputation to His Majesty seems proper that it might please him to grant acceptance pure and simple to those Constitution articles of ours. The mixed qualified acceptance with its per adventures is satisfactory to neither gods nor men. So much is clear, and yet there is more which no man speaks, which all men now vaguely understand. Disquietude, absence of mind is on every face. Members whisper, uneasily come and go. The order of the day is evidently not the day's want. Till at length, from the outer gates, is heard a rustling and justling, shrill uproar and squabbling, muffled by walls, which testifies that the hour is come. Rushing and crushing one hears now, then enter ushered my yard, with a deputation of fifteen muddy, dripping women, having, by incredible industry and aid of all the maces, persuaded the rest to wait out of doors. National Assembly shall now, therefore, look its august task directly in the face. Regenerative constitutionalism has an unregenerate sans colotism bodily in front of it, crying, Bread! Bread! Shifty Maillard, translating frenzy into articulation, repressive with the one hand, expostulative with the other, does his best, and really, though not read to public speaking, manages rather well. In the present dreadful rarity of grains, a deputation of female citizens has, as the august assembly can discern, come out from Paris to petition. Plots of aristocrats are too evident in the matter. For example, one miller has been bribed by a banknote of 200 livres not to grind. Name unknown to the usher, but fact provable, at least indubitable. Further, it seems, the national cockade has been trampled on. Also, there are black cockades, or were. All which things will not an august national assembly, the hope of France, take into its wise immediate consideration? And menadic hunger, irrepressible, crying black cockades, crying bread, bread, adds after such fashion, will it not? Yes, messieurs, if a deputation to his majesty for the acceptance pure and simple seems proper, how much more now for the afflicting situation of Paris, for the calming of this effervescence? President Mounier, with a speedy deputation, among whom we notice the respectable figure of Dr. Guillotin, gets himself forthwith on march. Vice-President shall continue the order of the day. Usher Maillard shall stay by him to repress the women. It is four o'clock of the miserablest afternoon when Mounier steps out. Oh, experienced Mounier, what an afternoon! The last of thy political existence! Better had it been to fall suddenly unwell while it was yet time. For behold, the esplanade, over all its spacious expanse, is covered with groups of squalid, dripping women, 
of lank-haired male rascality armed with axes, rusty pikes, old muskets, iron-shod clubs, baton ferret, which end in knives or sword blades, a kind of extempore billhook, looking nothing but hungry revolt. The rain pours. Garde du corps go caracoling through the groups, amid hisses, irritating and agitating what is but dispersed here to reunite there. Innumerable squalid women beleaguer the president and deputation, insist on going with him. Has not his majesty himself, looking from the window, sent out to ask what we wanted? Bread and speech with the king. Dupin et parle et roi. That was the answer. Twelve women are clamorously added to the deputation and march with it across the esplanade through dissipated groups, caracoling bodyguards and the pouring rain. Monsieur Mounier, unexpectedly augmented by twelve women, copiously escorted by hunger and rascality, is himself mistaken for a group. Himself and his women are dispersed by caracolas, rally again with difficulty among the mud. Finally, the grates are opened. The deputation gets access, with the twelve women too in it, of which latter five shall even see the face of His Majesty. Let wet menadism in the best spirits it can expect their return. End of Book 7, Chapter 6